0: The story of Esther has many intriguing elements. The third chapter begins with Haman's meteoric rise to power. We witness a conflict between Haman and Mordechai. The uh, fifth pasuk reads as follows: Vayar Haman Mordechai chema. So Haman saw that Mordechai did not bend or bow to him. And he was filled with anger. Va'yves beinav li'shloach yad b'mordechai levado, ki higirulo et am mordechai, haman l'hashmid et kol ha'yehudim, hasher bechol machut achash ve'rosh, achash am mordechai. But it was contemptible in the eyes of Haman to extend his hand on Mordechai specifically by himself for they told him who was Mordechai's nation. So Haman sought out to destroy all the Jewish people in all the kingdoms of Ahashverosh, the nation of Mordechai. So this chapter is introduced with the words after these events. What were these events? an attempt was made on the king's life. That's the episode of of Bigtan and and Teresh. He responded by promoting Haman to second-in-command and effectively the head of security. He had the king's full support behind him and he could have killed anyone in an instant under the banner of national security. So within this context one has to ask, what was Mordechai thinking starting up with Haman? He may not have liked Haman, but there's no prohibition to bow before another human being out of courtesy or duty. Yaakov bowed down before Asov. This was not because Yaakov valued asaph's contribution to contemporary culture. He simply didn't want asaph to kill him. So why didn't Mordechai just keep his head down and not start trouble? Why risk his own life and the life of the entire Jewish people. So Rashi gives us some insight into this episode, and he explains, So Haman made himself into a god. Therefore, Mordechai did not bow, or did not bend, and did not bow. And Rashi continues, Later, Mordechai is confronted by others who ask if he will really stand up for his values and, and not bow down to Haman. And Rashi says, Ha-omer olamid. He says he's not going to bow down ever, Ki hu yehudi, because he is a Jew. Ve el-ilim. And he is careful or vigilant regarding uh, strange worship. So Rashi gives us insight into Mordechai's motivation. He explains that Haman wasn't just promoting his political authority, he was making himself into a god. Mordechai refused to promote this false philosophy. Now the Vilna Gaon adds an important comment. He says, Mm -hmm. So to clarify, it was told to Haman to look out for this and to see that he, Mordechai, didn't bend. For Haman didn't see this on his own because of his profound arrogance. He was walking through town, people bowed down to him, he wasn't uh, investigating every person. Um, So a careful read of the text in the Megillah shows that Haman only noticed Mordechai after others pointed it out to him. Mordechai was not trying to start up with Haman. He was not standing at the front of the line making a show. He was trying to be inconspicuous. Haman was so arrogant that he would not have even noticed on his own. But still, at the end of the day, was Mordechai's action, his refusal, to, for his refusal to bow, truly wise? The term ruthless pragmatism has been used to describe an approach within politics and contemporary culture. An article in The Atlantic outlines the concept and some of its history. It refers to a willingness to go to any length in order to achieve a particular ends. The ruthless pragmatist only calculates. Murder, cheating, lying, pose no obstacle. Now we see in the Gemara in Megillah, Daf Yud Tet Amad Aleph, Megillah 19a, it says, So what was it that Haman saw that he decided to quarrel with all the entire Jewish people. It was on account of Mordechai refusing to bend or to bow. So Haman saw Mordechai as an affront to his political movement and his authority. He calculated, and here's a quote from the Pisukim, which we read above, it seemed contemptible to him to lay hands on Mordechai alone for they had told him Mordechai's nationality, and Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who were, throughout Achashverosh's entire kingdom, Mordechai's people. He considered the political benefits of genocide, had the order signed and approved, and began preparing a final solution. Now let's look at the Gemara's understanding of Mordechai's motivation. So this is similar to Rashi, but it reads in Daph tedam and Aleph again in Megillah, Ma ra'a Mordechai di'ikani bahaman. What was it that Mordechai saw that he quarreled with Haman? Al Kha Nafshe Avodazara and it was on account of the fact that Haman made himself into an object of worship, Umahi Giyalahem and what happened to the Jewish people as a result, Didrachis Nisa, a miracle occurred. Moral pragmatism stands in stark contrast to the philosophy of ruthless pragmatism. Of course, the moral pragmatist assesses consequences and outcomes, carefully weighing his or her options, but a higher ideal is also considered. Mordecai is the paradigm of the moral pragmatist. What did he see? He saw Haman's philosophy evolve beyond the political to the philosophical, just like communism became more than just the means of sharing production, developing an antagonism towards God and religion. Mordechai refused to perpetuate Haman's political and philosophical ideology. Was it wise not to bow down to Haman? No, not practically. But Mordechai could not personally contribute to promoting Haman's agenda. He refused to endorse a philosophy in complete opposition to what Judaism stands for. That's what Rashi explains is the very definition of the Jew, someone who stands up against erroneous worship, against false values that's the pasuk in three four. they told this to Haman to see whether Mordechai's words would stand up, for he had told them that he was a Jew. Would this quote unquote Jew really stand up for his values or would he fold just like everyone else when confronted with expediency and practicality? Esther and Mordechai are paradigms of moral pragmatism. The moral pragmatist is humble. She makes plans but doesn't presume to know every outcome with certainty. She has a firm grasp of her role and the impact that man can have on his world. He is moral first and pragmatic second. He understands that ultimate results are in the hands of God, but nonetheless does not shy away from playing his role. There are political realities. We must take into consideration world opinion, but we can never abandon our eternal values for the sake of short-term political capital. If the ends justify any means, if any action is acceptable, then we forfeit our morality. Mordechai took a stand even though it wasn't politically expedient. If we are to fulfill our role as a light unto the nations, we may at times be called upon to take a stand. We humbly recognize man's limitations at predicting the future, while simultaneously fulfilling our role in shaping our world.